49ers fans. This is 49ers fangirl Tracy here with SoCali staff. Hello. And we have a very special guest tonight joining us on the podcast, uh, Chris Biederman, editor-in-chief of Niners Digest. Hi, Chris. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just cutting out from this uh, Bears or uh, Browns-Ravens game. All right. That's really thrilling. It's a very exciting Monday night football game. It's just the, the battle of the draft pick is that is that a Monday night football game. Yeah, 49ers fans want to keep a close eye on this one. Yeah, that's true. It will, it will matter. That bad. Them. Yeah, but we're in close competition with them for draft picks. So. And the 49ers play the Browns soon, so you could get a little advanced scouting done, too. That is true. It's just two weeks, right? Yeah, after Chicago. So they have two straight road games, which, uh, considering the way they've played on the road, doesn't bode super well for them. But, you know, I can turn it around, possibly. Possibly. But that actually brings up an interesting point. Um, I think we saw yesterday with the defense, they played very well, as they tend to do at home. And then they get on a plane, and it all goes terribly wrong. What do you think that that is about? Um, I, I, I asked Jim Tom Sewell about that today, and, and he said it was a point of emphasis, and, and the first thing they talked about um, when, when he met with the team. No one's really had any sort of explanation. And uh, under Jim Harbaugh, that was one of the... the ch- that was one of the 49ers' strong points was the way they played on the road. They were, they were one of the best road teams in the NFL before last year. Um, and none of the players really have a good explanation. I, I know Ahmad Brooks told us in Seattle that um, he you know, he has a hard time getting up for games in Seattle because it's gloomy and it's they always feel like it's dark out. Or I, I'm not totally sure what where he was going with that. But, um, yeah, the 49ers have had a really tough time getting up for games on the road, and particularly on defense. The offense has been bad uh, both at home and on the road, but the defense has been especially bad on the road, and, and they can't stop the run on the road. Um, and that, that's kind of the baseline for, for everything. If, if they stop the run, then they, then they can start to do some things they want against the pass, but uh, that hasn't, they haven't been able to do that. So if, if a team can run on the 49ers, the 49ers aren't going to have any success, and so far, they're, they're one of two winless teams on the road uh, with the Browns, and that's not good company. So we'll see. You know, they have, they have two weeks against uh, – I mean, the Bears are, are playing a lot better, um, but they have two weeks. You know, I, I wouldn't call the, the Bears or the Browns elite, obviously, by, by any means. So they have a chance to kind of rectify what they've been doing on the road these next two weeks. Hmm. Can I ask a question? I know that uh, Jim – Tomsla like commented a little bit about the whole Carlos Hyde thing. Do you think he plays again? Um, I think he wants to. I know he wants to stay on the roster because he gets game checks uh, for every time he's on the active roster. Um, and I think for him, that's about fifteen grand a game. So um, that's not nothing for a guy who's still on his rookie deal. Um, but no, I mean in, in the big picture, I don't know why they would. Uh, if, if what they want to do is, is run the game and they want to be a running team that, that is complemented by a good defense and, and they want to be a ball control team that doesn't turn the ball over and things like that, they're, they're going to need Carlos Hyde next year at full strength. And really trotting him back out there on a, on a, with a stress fracture in his foot um, doesn't really do them any good. So uh, if, if I were making the, de- the decision, I would shut him down. 
Um, but, you know, Hyde wants to get those game checks, and he's not going to get game checks if he's on injured reserve. So, um, I, yeah, we'll see We'll see how, how that goes. Uh, he, he wants to play. I mean, he's a competitive guy. He definitely wants to be out there. But I think surveying the landscape, they're, they're definitely not going to make the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play. Well, I don't think he should play either, but I'm surprised that they haven't shut him down sooner. So the way I'm thinking of it is that they could be causing worse damage to his foot in the long run if they just don't, you know, just make the call. So I'm a little disappointed by the 49ers in that sense, but, you know, I'm not a doctor. What's What's interesting about Hyde is, is we've talked to him about um, you know, his running style and, you know, these aren't Big Ten defenders he's going against. These are mm-hmm. NFL guys now. And right. Mm-hmm. Punish everybody who tries to tackle him and he's said that. And, you know, the big difference between him and Frank Gore, aside from their running styles, just in general, but, you know, Frank knew when to not, to avoid a hit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when to get down and, you know, Hyde is, is going to try to stay up and, and when you're trying to stay up with an NFL guy hanging on you, then you got two or three NFL guys coming to hit a stationary target, and that's usually how you get hurt. So I think Hyde's going to have to adjust his running style. I, I don't know if you know how much his running style impacted his foot necessarily, but I think just in general, if he's, if he's going to have longevity as a running back, he's going to need to learn how to take hits and, and get down when he needs to. Absolutely. And, like, I know you're – the whole Iowa State, you know, game is a little different from what the 49ers have done – you know, in the NFL. So I think that he's definitely adjusting to a lot of things. And uh, it's definitely one. I think he's just used to, like, packing his way through, but it's just not something you do in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, and especially in this division. And, uh, you know, all, all three of the, the Niners division opponents are really good against the run and they have really physical fronts. And the 49ers offensive line isn't very good. Awful. And you see Hyde taking Terrible. a lot of hits in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be interested to see, though, how Hyde would do with Andrew Tiller at right guard uh, instead of Jordan Devy. And, um, you know, the, the line's played a little bit better, and, and part of it could be because Gabbard's just getting the ball out quicker. Um, and, you know, he knows he, he knows his hot routes a little bit better than Kaepernick does, it seems like. But uh, mm-hmm. there, there were times when Hyde was in there, and he would get hit in the backfield, and he would just scream at the offensive line. And it was pretty blatant on TV, too. Right. Watch, mm-hmm. Watching the replays. And so he, he never really looked thrilled to, to play behind that offensive line when he was healthy. I can't blame him there. So. <laughs> uh, but as long as uh, you bring up Gabbert, let's talk a little bit about Blaine Gabbert. Uh, I think, you know, Steph and I have talked before. I think he is an adequate quarterback. I think he's done fine the last three weeks. I'm not convinced he's better than Kaepernick. He's different than Kaepernick, and he's been playing better than Kaepernick for sure. He's better than Kaepernick at this juncture. At this juncture. I will give you that. At this juncture, he is definitely, he's better. He's. I said he was playing better. That's okay, kind of, okay. That's the same thing, kind of. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but uh, I was thinking about something earlier that I'd love to get your thoughts on because you are in the locker room. Do you feel that there is a bit of a, almost a lighter load, so to speak, in the locker room, that some of the drama is gone, some of the angst? Um, the, the team seems to, they look like they're having a little bit more fun. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious as to your thoughts on that. And this no. is coming from a Kaepernick fan. So. Right. It's, it's hard to say. 
I would say there's something to the whole leadership aspect of, of the Kaepernick thing, and, and depending on which rumors you believe or don't believe about who Kaepernick associates with and whether or not that person might have associated with a former pass rusher on the 49ers who plays for the for the race. <laughs> <laughs> We won't name any names. Depending on if you believe those stories. Oh my I god. I think that's a that's a good way to, to sort of frame the, the outfit from a from a locker room standpoint. He's funny, right, Tracy? I think he's very funny. He makes me laugh on Twitter all the time. No, so, I told you. Right, but okay, so he being hilarious aside. <laughs> um, I think that that whole situation definitely caused a certain amount of angst in the locker room, and and I think relief of that. I think relief of that is is um, you know I think Gabbert provides that because the 49ers don't really have to worry about anything like that. Um, I don't know that Gabbert essentially is like a great leader. Um, I think leadership kind of comes with winning games and and proving that you're willing to put in the work to win games and, and coming up with, with plays to win games. Um, so Kaepernick did that early mm-hmm. in his career, and, and now, you know, he wasn't. And now it's Gabbard, and they're still kind of waiting. So and you look at the leadership void that the 49ers lost in the offseason, and, and there are still guys that, that are trying to fill that. And I don't know if there's really anyone outside of Navarro Bowman on the roster that has really kind of taken the leadership role on um, maybe Anquan Bolden. I mean, the thing is for us, whenever we go in the locker room, we're, we're in there for, you know, an hour on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And a lot of times it's it's during lunch. And, you know, there, there are very few guys in there. So in terms of the, the dynamic itself that we get to see, we don't get to see a lot of it because there's usually three or four starters in there, a lot of practice squad guys hanging around playing ping pong and stuff like that. Um but I would say, based on the other stuff that may or may not have happened, that, uh, <laughs> that the locker room is in a better spot, um, you know, from an emotional standpoint or whatever, between offensive players and defensive players, if, uh, you know, with, with Blaine Gabbard as a starter. Okay, that's fair. And uh, moving out of the locker room and onto the field, uh, what do you think of what you've seen out of Blaine so far? I was surprised. Um, I was shocked. I did not. I died. died. I thought it would have been as bad, if not worse, uh, than than how it was with Kaepernick. And and they're still not exactly lighting the world on fire. But Gabbard's doing some things that Kaepernick didn't do. Um, you look at the numbers. I, I saw someone ch- charted all of Kaepernick's throws, and all of his deep throws went to the right side of the field, and which is the same side that Tyron Matthew had, had his interceptions and. Mm-hmm in week three and then after the game talked about he knew where Kaepernick liked to go um and you know after after that Atlanta game when when Garrett Selleck had that touchdown to the left side on the post route I I asked him after the game about that play and he said he was surprised that he got the ball because he was so late in the read so that tells me that Blaine's you know maybe thinking about his reads a little bit differently than Kaepernick was um maybe he's reading defenses better he's He's definitely checking the down, but checking the ball down more. Um, Sean Drone has been getting a lot of receptions on checkdowns, which is a good and bad thing. Um, you know, they're not they're not doing well on third down, and maybe that's part of it. Gabbard mm-hmm. wanting to check down too early, but um, I've been I've been surprised. I think he's I last year benefited him, benefited him a lot, just getting the time off, getting a, a, a 
fresh fresh start, new scenery, all that stuff. I think uh, I think it's been a pretty good reclamation project. Um, and I think at this point, you know, Gabbert's under contract next year. Uh, I doubt the 49ers are going to pay Colin Kaepernick $11 million to be their backup. So whether or not he's healthy enough, that's that's a whole separate issue. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think the 49ers are, are going to go into the next season thinking that Gabbert's going to be one of the guys um, probably competing for the starting role, likely with a rookie or if they bring in a free agent or if they make a trade for another starting quarterback like Matt Stafford or something like that. Um, but I'd imagine Gabbert has, has played well enough in these few games, and, and he has to continue it, but I think the 49ers will feel comfortable having him in the mix to start next year. Well, words I never thought I'd say before a few weeks ago, but I would, I'd almost be surprised if he's not the week one starter next year. Yeah, I would too, and I think... He's been, he would expect him to be pretty rusty, you know, considering he hasn't really played for so long. But I think that he just rebounded very well in all of those things. And even though he lost the game, you know, this last week, I think he's shown a lot of progression. And I am, for one, impressed. Yeah, I'd agree. And, And I think you look back at his rookie year with Jacksonville, he was. He was supposed to compete for that starting job, and, and then he was supposed to back up David Garrard, and then the Jaguars decided to cut Garrard right before the start of the regular season and, and make Gabbert the starter from the jump. And, you know, that's a real tough proposition, particularly for a, a rookie on a bad team. Um, so I, I think, not that the 49ers are a good team, but I think... <laughs> no one would accuse them of being a good team. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> We saw it with Alex Smith. He, he struggled early on. Um, the personnel around him improved, and he he was able to find himself in a way that Blaine Gabbard is sort of finding himself now. Um, I still think Blaine Gabbard has a long way to go to get to where Alex Smith was when he was playing his best in, in 2011. But um, but I think he you know he might be on that track. I'm not. I don't want people to think I'm saying that he's going to lead the 49ers to a conference title game or anything like that. But I think. Gabbert could be a competent starting quarterback at some point if, if he continues to progress the way he's progressing. Why do you think that the 49ers are saying that Kaepernick is still like an option in 2016, all that kind of stuff? Because if they said anything different, it would indicate that there's a real rift between Kaepernick's camp and, and the 49ers. And, and I don't know that there is, but you know, you, hmm. if, if Trent Baalke were to say anything other than, yeah, Kaepernick's still in the fold, then that would become a big story. Right. And, right. and so, you know, Trent, the way he operates, he's not going to give the media anything that they can turn into a story, uh, a negative story like that. Um, and if he did, that would be that would become a huge thing, both locally and nationally. Um, so, I mean, Kaepernick's under contract. The 49ers still like him. They liked him enough to give him you know that that deal, um, even though they can get out of it because of all the guarantees and things like that. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't do him any good to say anything other than than what Trent Baalke said, which was, "Yeah, he's still in the equation. Um, we're going to let him rehab at our at our place, and, and we're definitely going to consider you know bringing him back next year." Let me ask you one more thing: Why do you think that there were the different reports that it was a partial tear? not anything serious and then all of a sudden it becomes this serious tear where he needs surgery why do you think there was a 
difference in opinion there? Um, I'm not sure that there was a difference in opinion. I, th- I think what happened was Kaepernick was hurt, didn't report it, and, and wanted to play through it for a while. And then once he was benched, he realized, well, maybe I should get this thing checked out because it's not super pertinent that I keep playing. And, uh, and then they realized it was probably worse than, than they initially thought. Uh, once he had an MRI and saw the second opinion and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, two years ago, uh, Kaepernick played with that foot injury that he didn't report till late in the season. Right. Well, he reported it. Yeah, it, it might have been the next season. I, I forget the details with that. But I know he's the type of guy who, you know, he, he wants to – not that he wants to look like a tough guy. I mean, Kaepernick is a really tough guy. Like, I, I don't think Kaepernick no. ever got credit from, from – you know, for a quarterback, I mean, some of the hits that he takes and he pops right back up. Uh, he never missed any time with injuries until now. Um, so I think if he were still the starter, he would have went the year playing through the injury, and then we would have found out once the year was over that he needed shoulder surgery. So I think that's a credit to his toughness. I think he's a tough guy, and he wanted to stick it out. And then once he realized he wasn't the starter anymore, they took a, a long, a closer look at it, and then he uh, and then he opted for the surgery. Okay, I I personally, <laughs> um, I'm personally gonna you know take a different angle with that, but I I huh? You can disagree with me. You can be like, Chris, you're wrong. You're an idiot. <laughs> Do it. I want to fight. Let's get a fight no, going. No, I can't fight with Chris. <laughs> um, but I, I I think there was a couple of different things that were reported. So I'm gonna go into this a little bit more later on if I can on my own. He's the type of person that's like, oh, I'm benched, so I'm going to, like, pretend that I'm, you know, injured or more injured than I was. And I wasn't going to – I think the doctors were well aware of what was going on. I think that just being, you know, a, a football player, you have to let your trainers, your doctors know what's going on, it, it, ever, you know, minute or not. So I do think that they knew. Um, I don't know if they necessarily understood – you know, the extent of it, but you know, I, I don't think that's all on him is just saying, oh, I thought I could play through this and, you know, now I'm totally hurt now that I'm benched. I don't really, I don't know if I'd buy that because it's just not the type of person he is. The thing was, I mean, he got treatment for it. Trent, Trent Boggy said he got treatment for it after the Green Bay game. The thing was, he never showed up on the injury report until last week. Or and you don't think that's suspect, Chris? I don't think that's what? That's suspect. I think it is suspect. I, I do, <laughs> but I, I the in my head, I, I think it was something where it wasn't really a big deal for him. And then once he realized he wasn't starting, he could, you know, knowing that April first is is a significant day, and if he sure. did have a worm tear, he needs to he needs to be rehabbed in time for April one, which is almost four months exactly um, from when he had the surgery. So, right, and uh, what I don't get. Six, this is what I don't get. If the 49ers... They don't get it either. But what I don't get is if the 49ers were willing to like be done with him completely, right? By April 1st. They would want a healthy quarterback so they could wash their hands of him. So what I don't get is why they wouldn't just say, hey, why don't you get your surgery, get it over with, be healthy, and have a good career elsewhere. 
You know what I'm saying? But no, what but that didn't happen. Are you so, Steph? Are you are you saying you don't know why it didn't happen earlier? Well, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, Kaepernick was still the starter, right? So it happened in what week four? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then and then he started been... how many more games? So he was okay. still the starter at that point. So he didn't he didn't want to miss time. And I don't know that they Correct. were quite ready at that point in week four to wash their hands of him. Right. I don't. I think that came a little bit later. Yeah. I think that came after. I mean, I think that there were the rumors and they were thinking about it, but I think that probably came more after the Rams game. Okay. Even though they were going to wait for the Falcons because they didn't think the defense was as good, but I don't. I don't know that it was <laughs> as much of a foregone conclusion. We will never know because medical people in the NFL don't say anything to anybody. This will be one of the great NFL mysteries of our time. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Colin Kaepernick mm. torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. Um, but I think it may have been more that. Now, I have a question for Chris, as long as we're on quarterbacks and Kaepernick and Gabbert. <laughs> Here's the question. And just out of curiosity, your thoughts. So let's pretend, and I'm not, I'm not rooting for this. This is a totally hypothetical. But let's pretend that Gabbert folds. Starting Sunday, it turns into a disaster. And he's Jacksonville playing Gabbert all over again. Do they wash their hands of Kaepernick still, or do they want to wait and see? Yeah, I think that's the thing. They have, they have a five-game sample to continue to evaluate the situation. I don't think they've they've made their decision one way or another because I don't think either option is good enough for them to do that. I think they do have to consider bringing Kaepernick back um, because just because Blaine Gabbert has played okay and is an upgrade from Kaepernick, who is playing the worst football of his career on the worst offense in the NFL by far. I don't think that means that Kaepernick, that Gabbard is set in stone as, as a viable option next year. I think he still has to prove it. And the 49ers realize that, you know, maybe bringing Colin Kaepernick back, um, if he's healthy, if, you know, if, if they get a new offensive coordinator, if they upgrade the offensive line, if Carlos Hyde is healthy... Um, if some of these young guys develop a little longer, hold on, I can put the dog out, but I'll keep talking. Um, <laughs> that maybe Kaepernick is still is still a viable quarterback, and it, it, I don't think it would be smart of them to to make that decision now before knowing really what they have in Blaine Gabbert. So I think that's that's going to be the most interesting thing, along with you know how the team plays overall in terms of. Jim Tom Sula's future, but how Gabbert plays, um, you know, is, is going to define his his standing this off season and, and what the where the 49ers go and, and at quarterback. So you believe all of what the 49ers are saying? You believe that they really think that Kaepernick is an option later on? Should Gabbert not work? I mean, you believe yeah. that. If if Gabbard falls on his face, I don't I don't know what they're thinking, but I don't think I mean if it's me, I don't think you go in the off season with one clear cut decision already made. Hmm. And the thing is with Kaepernick's contract is it can be completely renegotiated. And I'm not saying he wants to come back or the 49ers necessarily want to have him back, but it would be it wouldn't be smart of them to go into this after three games of Blaine Gabbard saying okay. You know, we've seen enough from Blaine that we can cut ties with Kaepernick. If Kaepernick was on the open market, he would he would be the most sought after free agent quarterback in sure. my opinion. And yeah, get, absolutely. 
quickly, and the 49ers realize that that's still an asset. So yes. I don't know that they've seen enough from Gabbard to, to make that decision at this point, but, you know, maybe in a few weeks they will. Um, it's, I, I mean, you guys know, it's it's impossible to predict what, what the 49ers are going to do. In worst case scenario, like, they could do an injury settlement. This is something that I'm familiar with. This is my, you know, neck of the woods. So I know that they could do an injury settlement and no big deal. They can pay him for a few weeks. You know, no big deal if they don't do that, but if they don't decide to go with him. So it's not like it's the end of the world, even if he passes that April 1st deadline. It's not the end of the world. Right. Right. Yeah, my, my thing is, is I just don't think that they've made that decision yet. And I know a lot of people like to talk about, yeah, they're moving on. And, yeah, you're not going to pay a back quarterback $11 million. That's not going to happen. No, but do you but, think Kaepernick uh, wants to stay there? Sorry? Wouldn't Kaepernick want to stay there under that circumstance? That's the that's the whole other thing. I mean, that, does he want to stay even if he's not the starting – even if he is the starting well, quarterback? Would he want to stay? I don't think he would. I don't know what favors, I don't know what favors the 49ers have done Colin Kaepernick since he signed that deal in the summer of 2014. Like I don't know, you know what they they signed Tory Smith. Okay, but Tory Smith is not going to be a very good offensive lineman. I'll tell you that. No. <laughs> He's not. I mean, you know, they, the the talk was that they. Kaepernick's contract was flexible so he can re-sign some of his teammates. Well, Michael Crabtree didn't want to come back, and the 49ers didn't re-sign him. Uh, Mikey Potty left. Obviously, the 49ers are feeling that because that impacted the right side of the offensive line with Alex Boone switching over. You can go down the line of everything that's happened and all the, all the moves the 49ers have made, and there really isn't anything they've done that would suggest to Colin Kaepernick, like, yeah, these guys are doing a great job helping me out become a, a really good franchise quarterback. And that's not absolving Kaepernick of playing poorly. That's just, you know, if, if you're him and you look at the situation, I don't know why he would want to come back either. Me neither. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> as much as I'd like him to come back, I can't imagine at this point. And it might be better for him. He may do better, or he I think he will do better elsewhere. with a fresh Kind of like what you are saying about Blaine Gabbert earlier. New surroundings, fresh start. It might be good for Kaepernick too. Yeah, and if he went somewhere as a backup, um, you know, in a good situation where he just had time to learn, and then you know, if an injury happened and, and he worked into some games on a good team, you know, I wonder what he would be like in in Denver with you know John Elway running the show. And I know Brock Osweiler has played well, but you know, competing for a starting job like that if Peyton Manning retires at the end of the season, or you know, going somewhere where he has to compete, I think. Kaepernick's best when he's competing for something, and uh, and going into a spot where you have to compete for playing time, I think would be good. I think, you know, as we've learned, I don't know that he he is good when he's expected to be good. I think he's good when people are doubting him, or he's he's better when people are doubting him, and and he kind of carries a chip on his shoulder, and uh, and I don't know, as like a franchise quarterback with a twenty million million dollar cap figure on. You know, on a, on a team like the 49ers, that that's the best situation for him from a from a mental and emotional standpoint. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, and I wondered, even though it, it just breaks my heart to even wonder it, but I wonder if he would have been better off, even though he was lights out in that Chicago game on his first night, if he would have been better off if Alex Smith got his job back the next week and Cap had to 
maybe he worked in a little bit. Not that that's great for a team, but if he had to still spend that season behind Alex Smith and then they let Alex Smith go at the end of the season. Don't do that to yourself. Just let's not do that. <laughs> I've been doing it though, Steph. There's been so much of it. <laughs> I know I shouldn't do it to myself. The what could have been of it all. Uh, every time I see Jay Cutler, I think of what could have been <laughs> if Adam Gase was the coach. But we are going to talk about the um, that stupid Quinton Dial penalty. Yes. We got fans not like that penalty. I'm sorry. What was that? Not really. <laughs> my, my mentions on Twitter turned into like a Facebook comment section. It was insane. What I, do you mean? Give us an example. I, I, I mean, are you guys a PG rated podcast or what? There was just a lot of. That's no, okay. I mean, we're a lot of swearing. It made me uncomfortable. Oh. Ugh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it was a bad call. I, I think it's a bad call. I think in general, though. Um, anytime a quarterback's head snaps back, no matter where he's hit, and we saw it with the Drew Brees hit, the, the, the referees are going to call it. That's just what they're going to do. And no matter where you hit the guy, if you hit him in the stomach and his neck snaps back and he, and he feels whiplash, the quarterback is going to beg for the call, and more, more than likely the NFL is going to give it to him. And on the play, Carson Palmer got up with the chin strap on his nose. And, uh, you know, and... and it looked like maybe Dial, the top of Dial's helmet hit Carson Palmer's chin. But I still don't think it was a good call. Um, I think there was a lot that went wrong from an officiating standpoint in that game. But I don't think that's why the 49ers lost. Um, I don't think they score more points than the Cardinals if, if those calls weren't made. Um, so I thought the Niners played pretty well. But, uh, but they didn't play well enough to win. And, and I don't think... 49ers fans should should view it as the rest cost in the game. I think that's kind of a defeatist attitude. And plus, do, do fans really want the 49ers to win at this point? I mean, the, you, you if you're if you're the 49ers if, in need of talent. In yes, need of, I need. I want them to win. But you know what? I guess my argument to that is they're they're a bad football team. I mean, they're, just, they're not good. They're not gonna win. But I, as a fan, still want them to win. I want to know they're trying because I still get invested in every single game, and I'm not playing. So I think I'd like to know they're trying, or at least improving and showing some signs of life. Because they're not good. They're not going to win. We are going to have a high draft pick. Yeah, and here's the thing that. I've not been particularly inspired by the past draft picks who I have no clue who they are in the first round, whether it be 30 or be number one. So I don't really have a lot of faith in the 49ers draft picks, I guess. So it doesn't like exactly inspire much confidence in me as a fan. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. So uh, there. That wise so there. fans. <laughs> so there. <laughs> I totally get it, but... But for me, I mean, I mean, I in in my shoes when you have people on Twitter and sports talk radio and everybody's talking about the officials, it, it just kind of yeah. everything else that happened. No, and you're right; it's not why they lost the game. That. I mean, that's I hate that. official. If you, if, if oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go. I was just gonna say, in that situation, if the officials are costing you the game, then you're not playing well enough to win. I mean, that's. In those in those kind of games, I think it was just very frustrating for fans, and I think it looked it was a game that they thought we were. I personally, I thought they were going to get blown out, um, and they actually played well. But no, they didn't play well enough to win. So a bad call like that shouldn't cost them the game. No, yeah, I mean exactly, and that's I guess from a 
a longtime fan fan of this team. There's been a lot of times where there's been the one call, you know, and I think we're used to seeing that those one calls could be the difference maker, but we don't do that to ourselves. We don't say that, well, that's the one. There's never, ever one play that makes or breaks the team. And I, I hold true to that, and I never, like, really get upset with the whole play calling, you know, and when refs make a bad call. But that that was pretty blatant, and I, I don't know. It was rough to see because it's like finally these kids are going out there. You know, I see someone like you know big Quentin Dial, you know, and he's kid. He's not really like a star, and he makes a good tackle, and he's penalized for it. And I think that's what's frustrating as a fan. Well, Sunday's call wasn't as bad as the one in New Orleans in 2013. No, that was the worst. Because. That that one cost the 49ers home field advantage in the playoffs, and they we would have had it over. Oh God, I know, but that was all my Brooks. Like I understand. They had to go to Seattle in the conference. but it wasn't the kids. I don't know. Yeah, but that was I was doing that to myself yesterday too, reliving that call, and I was like, and if they won the game, they would have had home field advantage. Actually, Steph, my and Chris, my dad said the same thing to me. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. And it was two years ago. It's really time for you to move on. No, it is. <laughs> Ugh. But yeah, officiating is difficult. It's not easy. They're trying to get it right. Um, but yeah, Sunday was was a bad look for the league. And, and there was a lot more that went wrong in that game than just that play. But yeah, anytime a quarterback gets hit hard and, and his, his head whiplashes, it's going to get called. And that's just reality. And I think I don't see it changing anytime soon. Maybe I'll get uh, they'll, they'll put those things in, in replay. I really hope not because there's enough replay and there's too much in my opinion. And, uh, he believes he's, and, yeah, uh, he's agreeing. He's like, right. Yeah, it was a, it was a poorly officiated game, but I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's right to say that officiating costs of 40 hours a game. Well, and I watch a lot of football and if there's been bad officiating throughout the league all season and good teams still find a way to win. Exactly. That's why you have 16 games. Like the, no, no one goes undefeated. The best team doesn't always win. You have 16 games to, to hope to weed some of that stuff out. So whether or not the 49ers would have won that game, it doesn't change the trajectory of their season. There is one team that's undefeated. Do you think Carolina is going undefeated for the, for the whole year? No, but they are undefeated now. And I, they are. They could. I mean, they probably won't. They'll probably lose to the Giants, but um, and they may lose more than just to the Giants. But they, looking at their schedule, they could. I think so. I'm gonna pull up the schedule. Pull up their schedule. They potentially could. And it's not like it's hard. Like who they're going against. Like I don't know. I see everything going in their favor, but that's not the point. It's the principle of the whole. They do have a pretty easy schedule. But it's the principle of the fact that, you know, you should make the right calls on the field. And I don't, I'm not one to blame the whole officiating, but there were several that could have went either or, and all the time. I mean, you can tell me anything you want to tell me, but, you know, games can be won or lost in one play. It just, that's football. So... If one game can be won and lost in one play, then it can be won or lost on one bad call. And so that's just how I feel about it. Like, I just wish it were better. 
Well, it should I, be better, yes. And and I think part of the discussion going forward, and and uh, I think Mark Purdy from the from the Mercury News today was asking Jim Tom Sewell about um, if if he would want that because the the NFL officials it's a part time gig. These guys are right. voices and principals and stuff like that. Um, and it would probably cost the league, I don't know, somewhere like $10 million a year to, to make these officials full-time so they can spend all of their time trying to become better at their craft instead of being officials for a quarter of the season and, and kind of flying that way. So I think the league should should absolutely consider making these guys full-time so they can devote 100% of their time to this stuff and reviewing plays and going through protocols and and figuring out the communication aspect, which we saw was a mess in the first quarter of that game when the when the refs couldn't figure out what down it was. <laughs> which, by the way, I still think it may have been second down. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they, they called, they tried to, like, retroactively change a, a, third, a 12 men on the field penalty, and, and they didn't know what to do, and then they went to replay. I mean, it's just, there's stuff... Like the NFL is getting to a point where they they need to consider making major changes just because of just the watchability factor. Like no one wants to sit through a four hour football game. I know people love football, but no one wants to sit through a four hour football game because of all these replays and all these discussions and all these time stoppages. There needs to be a way to streamline the process, and I think the, the baseline for that is is making these officials full time so they can spend their entire off season working just as much as the players are on on you know getting better. I would, and I'll step off my soapbox, okay? No, but I think you're right. I mean, I do think you're right because you do have calls like that New Orleans game. And so, but, I mean, that was also another example when the 49ers didn't play. I think they scored, what, 10 points in that game? So Yeah, that was a bad Kaepernick game. That was not, yeah, that was not I a good talk about it. <laughs> it's been two years. Should I move on? <laughs> um, well, so we have the Bears on Sunday. We get to see our good buddy Vic Fangio, who's probably pretty excited, um, and Adam Gase. And um, I think that should be an interesting game. I would have before for sure thought this was at least a winnable game. But now I'm not so sure. And the Bears, though they are certainly not elite, they're a pretty hot team right now. They're moving up. They're moving their way up. They're not, I think, what, they're a game or two out of a wild card spot. They've so, won three of their I mean, last four. They do. They've won three of their last four. They beat the Packers at home. They shut Aaron Rodgers out in the second half at home, which is impressive. That's what Vic Fangio does. He went undefeated against Aaron Rodgers in, what, four games? Oh. As, as the defensive coordinator for the Niners. He but, sure um, did. <laughs> yeah, Fangio would really like to win on Saturday, on Sunday, and I'm sure he would really like to shut the 49ers out. So it's going to be cold. Um, it's going to be a 10 a.m. start local time. And we talked about how bad the 49ers have been on the road. So we'll see if, if Fangio gets gets that revenge that that I know he, he probably wants pretty badly. And when well, you say, oh, go ahead, Steph. Well, they're seven-point favorites, and I think that – that just underscores like a minimum. I think they're going to get clobbered. So I don't know. I'm just not as hopeful as everyone else. The Niners were ten point underdogs at home on Sunday against the Cardinals, and they covered. So how many times yeah. have the 49ers covered this year? Is it once, twice? I don't yeah, know. Like- I don't gamble, but 
I don't watch that stuff, but like I there's like seven points. So I think definitely they're gonna get covered. <laughs> well, if Ahmad Brooks is having trouble getting revved up for Seattle games where it's gloomy, Chicago <laughs> where it's freezing and could potentially be snowing is gonna create a whole other set of issues. So I don't have yeah. a lot of hope. Uh, it will be cold. Well, that's I'm going on that trip, so. But and too, like, don't you think Fangio has a revenge? Like, I would. I'd be like, I'm gonna, like, nail him to the wall. Yeah, he really, he really wanted to be the head coach, and the players really, mm-hmm. a, a lot of defensive players, especially, really wanted Fangio to be the head coach. And a little bit part of me wants him to have that victory, and I'm bad at that, but I just I understand that. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. And I mean, <laughs> I think like Vic Fangio and and Vic, I think Vic made the 49ers a little bit uneasy with just mm-hmm. kind of his overall honesty towards yeah. the media. He was like he had no problem telling the world that Ahmad Brooks needed to lose 15 pounds. Right. Um, he had no problem telling the world that Tank Carradine was not picking up the defense the way he needed to. Exactly. Uh, and with you know J- Jim Tuck or. You know, Trent Baalke does not want anyone no. kind of outlining the 49ers' flaws. So I think that that was kind of a major reason why Fangio was, was quickly passed over for, for the head coaching job. I don't know if he was quickly passed over, but I think that was part of the whole discussion is that they, he wouldn't toe the line. Yeah, he wouldn't toe the line. But, you know, with, with Adam Gase, the 49ers wanted Adam Gase. and Gase Think wanted- about that. Mm-hmm. But, unbelievable. But the 49ers wanted Tom Sula to be the de- defensive coordinator over Fangio, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's I don't, in- considering, you know, the fact that, but, <laughs> it's in- you know, nobody knows. If, oh, my God. knows if Jim Tom Sula can call a defense. He can't. You know what I mean? So, um. I can't call yeah. a game. So. He, doesn't, he, he doesn't call <laughs> play on either offense or defense, which is not that a lot of coaches do, but it's a little rare. And he he knows what's being called, but he doesn't he doesn't have final say on a lot of stuff that that other coaches with coordinator experience would like say. What do you mean? Well, a lot of what coaches. Do you mean? He doesn't call any plays. Okay. He sees stuff like he says stuff crosses his desk. You know. Yeah, I know. Everything crosses his desk, but he doesn't call any plays. Hey, that's what I heard about. Okay, so this is interesting to me because you really don't think he makes the final decision. You think that he's just passing that on? I think he gives his coordinators a ton of autonomy to, to call what they want, and he'll overrule them when he thinks he should. But uh, it's my opinion that, that he he gives a, he, he lets them call what they want to call. Gross. Okay. Gross. <laughs> It's gross. It's gross, but it's not surprising. I mean, every time I... And I don't... I think this is going to sound really mean, and I I don't mean it to, but every time I see him in a press conference, I always feel like he's not the real coach. Does that make sense? Like, he comes up, and I listen to him talk, and I feel like, you're not the real coach, though. Who's the real coach? He's way out of his element. And, you know, like, he's out of his element, and it reflects poorly on him, but he is... Poor guy. sound mean either, but he is a lot smarter than than he comes off in some of those press conferences. He's a small guy. Yeah, I've Mm -hmm. talked to him off the record a lot and about different stuff, and he's the most personable person I've met (laughs) 
in the 49ers organization. I've only covered him for three years, but he is a guy that, you know, people generally like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like Jim Tom Sewell, the person, but he is he is not cut out for the press conference thing. And anytime, you know, he said this, anytime he's rumbling, it's really because he's unsure of what he can and can't say, what he should or shouldn't say. Um, and, you know, with the way the 49ers have, have tried to control narratives, it's it's putting him in a tough position because he's not good at public speaking anyway. So it's tough enough to, to handle all of that when you are good at public speaking. Um, but when you're not, you have some of these press conferences like, like Jim Tom Sewell has had. And, and he's definitely out of his element from that standpoint, and he admits that. But I, I mean, even beyond that, I mean, when when you guys are asking him questions and he's answering them, there's this part of me that feels like he's not really the one making any of the decisions that you're asking about. Um, and so that I guess I mean it more that way. I mean, yes, he's not great at press conferences, mm-hmm. but I just and I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it. I don't think I'm articulating it well. Oh, I know what you mean. But that, I guess that's more what I feel. And he may one day be a great NFL coach. I just think, and I don't think it's entirely his fault. I mean, I know he wanted this, but I think he was put in an impossible situation way before he was ready for it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think so, but I disagree. D- d- what, do tell, what do you think? Okay, here's what I think. <laughs> um, I think John Madden was a really bad coach from a media standpoint, but he was a fantastic football coach. I can really care less how he is in press conferences or how he is you know, to the public. I don't care. Like, how it translates on the field is a very important thing and he just hasn't done that. So for me, that's how I'm judging him. Not how he looks, not how he sweats, not how he answers questions. It's how it translates on the field and he just hasn't done it for me. So I feel like he's defeated from multiple standpoints and that really has nothing to do with his perception or how he appears to the public. And I guess I'm not saying it's perception. For me, it just feels like I just feel like he's a pawn. Like they put him out there and it's not so much how he performs in a press conference. I think how they're performing on the field truly speaks to his abilities, but I just feel like he comes out there and I feel like he's a pawn and everyone's asking the questions that you would ask the head coach and he's giving answers that he himself may or may not believe or that he or may or may not have come up with. And then he he may have been coached to give. That's kind of more what I mean. I don't mean that like, I don't mean like, oh, he comes across badly in a press conference. And so I don't like him as a coach. Um, It's not that. It just feels to me like he's not a real coach. I guess I I don't know how, I don't know how else to say it. And I think it comes across really mean. And I don't mean it too, because I do really, I don't know Tom Sula personally, but everything I've seen of him as a person, I like him. I want him to succeed. I want him to be a good football coach. Uh, I just feel like he was just put out there as a figurehead of a football coach when someone else is making all the decisions. I guess it's maybe maybe that's how I was trying. I that's more. Chris Roy has the best insight here. I, I think he has. I think he's coaching the team. Um, I would say you know if you think Trent Baalke is making all the decisions, Trent Baalke is traveling. No, I have time to scout. I don't so, necessarily think it's. I don't necessarily have an answer as to who I think is making all the decisions. I'm just not sure it's him. 
Well, it's not Jed. If anyone, <laughs> if anyone was was really overseeing the football operation from from that standpoint, I would think it would be Prague. And I think his analytics oh, wow. stuff, as mm-hmm. Steph is detailed, yeah. is uh, is definitely. Yeah, Prague. you need to sh- you need to shout me out here, Chris. I just did shout you out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think I think this, yeah. that kind of stuff heavily influenced is what he does. But I do think he he does have autonomy to make decisions and if he didn't um i just don't like if he wasn't the one making those decisions the players would know it and the players would discredit him you know he he wouldn't have any sway and i think he does have sway i think the players like him i think they play hard for him for Parag. No, for Tom Sula. <laughs> Tom Sula. For not- oh, sorry, you lost me. <laughs> uh, I don't know if any of them... I've never seen Prague inter- interact with any of the players, but... Um, but I, I think I think Tom Sula is coaching the team. I just think he's he's kind of in a, an impossible spot with a declining roster and not a great coaching staff hmm. and not a ton of morale. I mean, you look at it, from an emo- football's an emotional game, and, and the 49ers lost so much in the offseason and, and went through a lot, and whatever was happening in the locker room with the quarterback or whatever, there's, you know, they're, they're not emotionally fired up for these games, especially on the road. And, and they, they are a little bit at home, but it's, I, I just don't, I don't know. We're, I mean, I think we're going to end up with the Tom Sula's coach team in 2016 again, too. So you guys should probably just get used to it. Which I actually am not totally opposed to. I do think it's kind of, all my other comments aside, I do think it's hard <laughs> to judge a, co- a first-year head coach on his on one year. I do believe that. But I, I'm actually more concerned with the offensive coaching staff. I could live with, not that anybody cares what I could live with, but I could live with a... I care. Thanks, I care. thanks Steph. I appreciate that. But I could live with a Tom Sula head coach in 2016 with, an, like, a new offensive coaching staff. Yeah, and I think, that's probably, I think that's probably the most likely scenario. So I don't know what Jeep Christ has done that anyone in the front office could say, oh, yeah, great job, Jeep. Let's, uh, let's bring you back and, and let's expand on what we did last year. I think... You know, his decisions along the offensive line, to me, were the most puzzling. Coming into training camp, um, no, I don't, I don't know if, you know, who's necessarily to blame for, for what happened on the offensive line in terms of Marcus Martin and Brent Thomas. And, you know, the 49ers really needed those guys to be good players and become good players quickly. And they could have been. They could have been, but it just didn't work out that way. Right, and we don't know if the what the opportunity you know Brandon Thomas had in the preseason was, and they were constantly shuffling guys around. Um, they didn't even give Alex Boone any practice reps on the right side. They were determined to make him the left guard and not have him play any sort of right tackle. I don't think he could have though. Why? I don't because he uh, uh, tackle. No, I understand that, but there was a reason he got moved over, and I don't, I've never seen him, and for what he was, I, and, you know, God bless my heart, but I think he was totally progressed because of Greg Roman and how he schemed it, so, and you know, I, I take back of everything that I said about Greg Roman, but I think he schemed a really good game, and seeing what I see now... Like, in retrospect, I think 
oh my god I was wrong and so I totally like accept that responsibility that I was wrong (laughs) in that but I don't think he's as great as everybody thought he was I mean he was never anything but I think he was made to be a specific player in a specific scheme and he did well in that scenario and other than that that's it sure I mean he he could have played tackle Boone could have Uh, he came up as a tight he's played right tackle before um, but my, I mean, they they signed Jordan Devy. They announced he would be the starting right guard. The but week, if you uh, so, you're telling me, Chris, that if he could play it better than Devy, then he wouldn't have. Then he would have, right? No, I agree with you. But the the point the point I'm trying to make is that okay, they, no. sorry, they, <laughs> stop <so> interrupting. <laughs> it was fine. They went, but they they announced Devy as a starter right after signing him, and then they they did that the week of the final preseason game. And then the last preseason game, none of the starting offensive linemen played. So the, the, the entire preseason was shuffling guys around, mixing and matching. And they did a lot of that, but they didn't try certain combinations that I thought were at least worth trying. Um, and none of, them, none of it included Alex Boone on the right side at either guard or tackle. Um, and, and the explanation was is they wanted Boone to be able to slide over and be Joe Staley's backup in case Staley got hurt. And from that standpoint, yeah, it makes sense. Yes. But if you learn left guard, if you learn left guard in the preseason, you're not going to forget it when you play on the right side in the regular season. And Boone played right guard and then replaced Staley in, in a game against the yeah. and shut out Robert Quinn in that game. I get it. And played pretty well. And from Boone's perspective, I was a little surprised because he's in a contract year. Mm-hmm. I was a little surprised he didn't push harder to play right tackle, or maybe he did, but he hasn't he hasn't made that public at all. But entering entering a contract year, you'd think I would love to showcase my ability to play tackle because tackles typically make twice as much as guards do. So I'm not saying the 49ers offensive line would have been good, but typically I don't think he's big enough, but I don't know. I don't think he could do it. Alex Boone, he's six eight. There's no way he could do it. There's no he's way he could do it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. We'll we'll agree to disagree on that. That's fine. Yeah, okay, we'll disagree. There's no way he could do it. He's never done it before. Not mm-hmm. in the NFL. So you think Eric Pierce, a right tackle, is, is the no? Ball? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's the best. I just think that if he were the option, they would have made that option. Yeah, I don't know. We'll never know. We might not get a chance to find out beyond this year with you, Chris, but it'll be interesting. I mean, the offensive coaching staff, aside from the receivers coach, whose name is slipping my mind right now, I don't know who's done a bang-up job this year. Nobody has. Nobody on offense has done a bang-up job. Nowhere on that side of the field. What do you think happens to Mangini? He get another year? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think so. I, I think there's there's a respect factor for Mangini that um, might give him a little more pull or might reflect on him in a way that kind of supersedes how the defense plays this year. And I think they're going to look at the defense and say, all right, we lost both of our starting cornerbacks. I guess Brock technically was a starting quarterback last year but didn't play hardly because of his injuries. But, um, you know, secondary has basically been in flux all year. Uh, the, the defensive line is deep and pretty young. Um, 
and they're going to upgrade the linebacking core pretty significantly in the offseason, I would guess. Um, and Trent Baalke is a big Patriots organization guy, and he's known Mangini dating back to his days with the Jets, and I think it, Mangini's scheme fits Baalke's philosophy in terms of what he likes. So I think Mangini would be back, and if... I, I've thought this, and, I, and I've told a few of my colleagues this, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if the 49ers finished the season 3-13 and or 4-12 and and they decided to part with Tom Sula, given the way their coaching search may or may not go, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Mangini would be the head coach in 2016. But I might be alone on that. Oh. Um, I guess I'm, I'm very bad at creating. That may have really, really upset me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of candidates they're going to have, I think right. they might represent the best option. And so, I don't know. I just don't know how many people are going to be clamoring, how many good candidates who won't have other options to take better jobs. I don't know how many of those guys are going to be clamoring for this 49ers job. Right. Like, well, if it's a Sorry, I'm keeping. And Mangini is one of those people mm-hmm. who would be available and who yes. would let yeah. yeah. So, oh God. My few cents. Oh dear God. <laughs> just really. I gotta go. I just put a damper on my entire <laughs> night. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna go home. All right. Steph, you said he'd be funny. Right now, it's not funny at all. Sorry. Dad. <laughs> no, but you know what? It's actually a pretty decent theory. <laughs> And it could very well come to fruition, and we can point to this this night. You okay. called it. We heard it here first. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Look, I, I haven't like heard that from anyone. I'm not, you know, I'm not reporting anything. That's no, just... he's just saying is what he thinks. Yeah. It's no. No. I know. True. No, I think that. It, but it it makes sense when you think about it. It would make but sense. I, I don't think that they would do that to Tom Sula because they even said that he, as long as he remains competitive in day-to-day games. I think that he's doing exactly what they want him to do, and that's play their game. So, I think that they give Tomsla another year. I would agree. Okay. Oh, wow, that's great. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.